This is Because I Said So, parenting advice with love and leadership from the nation's leading parenting expert, John Roseman, syndicated columnist, author, conference speaker, and the only psychologist to point out that psychology has caused more problems than it has solved. From American Family Radio, here's your host, John Roseman. Hello and welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, John Rosemond, and the program is called Because I Said So. We're all about parenting and family matters, and we're carried every Saturday, 5 o'clock Central, exclusively on American Family Radio. My thanks to Tim Wildman and everyone at AFR for their support. I am a renegade, contrarian, outlier family psychologist who does not believe in psychology and certainly does not believe that there's such a thing as Christian psychology. I am the author of a number of books and write a nationally syndicated newspaper column, information concerning both of which can be accessed through my website at John Rosemond. That's J-O-H-N. It's the phonetic pronunciation. That's J-O-H-N-R-O-S-E-M-O-N-D dot com. And you can also access my speaking schedule there. This coming weekend, I will be speaking at Crossroads Community Church in Aspen, Colorado. I'll be speaking on Sunday afternoon, doing a three-hour seminar from 2 until about 5.30, on Parenting with Love and Leadership, and then on Monday evening, I will be doing a second talk on teenagers, and we'll build into that talk a Q&A. So if you're anywhere close to the Aspen area and you're interested in hearing me in person, live and in the flesh, I will be again Crossroads Church in Aspen, Colorado. And those dates would be... November 13 and 14, Sunday and Monday. Can't imagine a more beautiful place this time of year. Okay, so um, a little background to today's show. The only news source to which I subscribe is the Wall Street Journal. I receive every day the Wall Street Journal first thing in the morning. In fact, I receive it at midnight on any given day. On my iPad, my trusty iPad, I don't read the Wall Street Journal from cover to cover because there's a lot of material in there, financial information, et cetera, et cetera, that I'm generally not interested in, but I certainly read most of the articles in the personal journal is what it's called, which is more the lifestyle section. And I read the opinion pieces, and I read the, some, a lot of the U.S. news, the front page, the world news, the review section on the weekend, and uh, the off-duty section on the weekend. So, I, you know, I'm pretty up-to-date with things. My wife and I do not uh, subscribe to the cable. I will not pay for 300 stations that I never watch. I don't understand the sense of that, but uh, that's another show, totally another issue. When I can, at someone else's house, I watch Fox News, occasionally in hotel rooms, although I rarely turn on television in a hotel room. And I subscribe only to the Wall Street Journal because 
my worldview in terms of politics and culture aligns pretty much with the Wall Street Journal. It certainly does not align at all with most mainstream newspapers like the Wall Street Journal, the Los Angeles Times, the Washington Post, and so on and so forth. I am politically about as far right as you can get. I vote Republican, but I do not call myself a Republican. I refer to myself as a constitutional conservative. So I'm going to give some advice to the Wall Street Journal here. And my advice is this. Stop trying to be all things to all people. Specifically, stop giving parenting advice. At least once a week in the Wall Street Journal, there will be an article that pertains to parenting matters. These articles are usually written by either Alison Gopnik, who believes in evolution and is a psychologist, and a woman named Andrea Peterson, whom I don't know what her qualifications are. She's on staff. I think she's just uh, a sort of a research journalist. And another woman whose name is Schellenbarger. That's her last name. I don't remember her first name right off the bat. Anyway, consistently, these articles are unhelpful, pseudoscience. And if parents follow the advice, these articles will create more problems than they solve. And the reason I'm picking on the Wall Street Journal is because I have yet to read a parenting article in the Wall Street Journal that is worth the time it takes to read it. The latest attempt by the journal to complicate the parent-child relationship appeared on Monday, November the 7th, the day before Election Day, and it was titled The Smart Way, I thought this was a fascinating title, The Smart Way to Argue with Your Young Teen. Now, uh, if that isn't an oxymoron, then nothing is. The Smart Way to Argue with Your Young Teen. In said article, the author, Andrea Peterson, begins with the usual brain babble to the effect that neurobiology, the developing teenage brain, as she refers to it, is the actual culprit when it comes to irresponsible teenage behavior. Yes, this is the prevailing biomyth as concerns teenagers, that they uh, the changes that are taking place in the pre-adolescent and early adolescent uh, brain cause children to be impulsive. And that's what Andrea Peterson in this article repeats, impulsive and irresponsible and so on and so forth. And ladies and gentlemen, let me assure you, this is pure unmitigated hogwash. In fact, I'm not going to go into the uh, the academic details of all this, but be assured that the research that is cited to support this specious argument it isn't worth the paper it's printed on. It is bad research done by people who have an agenda, 
And usually the research in question is being uh, supported or quite often supported by pharmaceutical companies of one sort or another, uh, most of whom or all of whom manufacture drugs that are prescribed to teenagers who are moody and impulsive and so on and so forth. So in order to justify giving medication to teenagers for irresponsible, narcissistic, disruptive behavior, the pharmaceutical companies, in concert with America's mental health profession, manufactures the myth that these behaviors are due to changes in the developing teenage brain. So let's examine that uh, for a moment. So how is it then that up until fairly recently, teenagers were trustworthy, responsible, hardworking, reliable, and uh, certainly not moody, petulant, constant manufacturers of self-drama? And how is one to explain that teenagers in Cultures that have not yet imported psychology as a source of parenting advice, teenagers are still today, by and large, responsible. And how does one explain the fact, then, uh, given all this brain babble, that there are plenty of teenagers in America who are not impulsive, moody, petulant, uh, self-dramatic, and so on and so forth? If... It is the developing teenage brain that causes impulsivity, moodiness, petulance, self-drama, disrespect, disobedience, rebelliousness, self-destructive behavior, and so on and so forth. And one must assume that there are a lot of kids in America who don't have brains that are developing properly, and that most kids, adolescents, young teenagers in third world countries don't have brains that are developing properly, and that uh, historically the American teenager did not have a brain that developed properly. Which is my way of saying this stuff is absolute hogwash, ladies and gentlemen. But once again, the specious brain babble profits the mental health and drug industries, and therefore... It exists. Uh, Ms. Peterson uh, begins by referring to therapists who, quote, say that argumentative young teens are healthy ones. Argumentative young teens are healthy teens. Supposedly, parent-teen arguments are essential, mind you, to forming a healthy identity, developing good adult communication skills, and learning to separate from one's parents. I, I mean, that's just absurd. Uh, I, I, there are many of you out there who are scratching your heads, wondering if you heard that correctly, so I'll repeat it. Supposedly, parent-teen arguments, according to Ms. Peterson in this article in the Wall Street Journal on November the 7th, are essential to forming a healthy identity, developing adult communication skills, and learning to separate from one's parents. 
So if you're not already arguing with your teenager, for your teenager's sake, you better start arguing with him or her. We're up against a hard break, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, John Roseman. The show is called Because I Said So, carried exclusively on American Family Radio. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, John Rosemond, and the program is called Because I Said So. So I'm uh, talking about uh, this article that appeared in the Wall Street Journal on Monday, November the 7th, the day before the most momentous or one of the most momentous election days in America. The article was titled The Smart Way to Argue with Your Young Teen, an oxymoron if I ever heard one. And and the... uh, (laughs) The, the, the article, the gist of the article is that parent-child arguments are healthy. They are essential to the proper social development of the child. If they're not already occurring, they need to begin occurring. I, the article is absolutely absurd. And the reason I'm talking about it is because it's just more of the same old, same old parenting junk that is being manufactured in the mainstream media these days. And what makes it bad is that people with Ph.D. after their names are quoted in the article. And so parents believe that because these people have impressive credentials, they're ooh psychologists. And because they have impressive capital letters after their names, they know what they're talking about. When these people, as is the case with 99 percent of people in my field when it comes to parenting matters, And 98% of people in my field, when it comes to other matters, do not know what they are talking about at all. Two of the PhD therapists quoted in the article say that they worry, that is the word used, worry, they worry when teens are not argumentative. Supposedly, the non-argumentative teen according to these Ph.D. psychologists, psychobabblers, is holding vital stuff inside and not developing a healthy self-image. One such babbler says that if parents don't allow arguments, teens will be susceptible to peer pressure to consume alcohol And I assume do other inappropriate things uh, like engage in sexual activity and so on and so forth. This is what I call, by the way, an example of this as an example of what I call a psychological boogeyman. Here we have a Ph.D. psychologist saying that if you don't allow even foster arguments with your teenager, Ooh, your teenager may start drinking, smoking pot, shooting heroin, engaging in sex. Absurd. Preposterous. In other words, what this guy is saying is that rebellious arguments prevent rebellious behavior. How does that work? To borrow from mathematician and philosopher René Descartes, 
who lived from 1596 to 1650 and was one of the most intelligent human beings ever to walk the planet, there is nothing so preposterous that psychologists have not already thought of. If you're not applauding Rene Descartes, you should be. Now, I know teens who are argumentative. I know and have known teens who are and have not been argumentative. And I know teens who are not argumentative. Let me say that again to make sure that I said it correctly. I know teenagers who are argumentative, and I know teenagers who are not argumentative. And the latter, those teens who are not argumentative, are clearly, without a doubt, the happier, more mature, goal-centered, responsible teenagers. Furthermore, they do not seem to be in any existential angst concerning who they are. They do not seem to be having any great difficulty when it comes to figuring out their identity. This ridiculous article goes on to recommend that parents handle parent-teen arguments by compromising on small stuff. Now, this is exactly what the article, Wall Street Journal, respectable publication, a publication that I rely on, for a lot of information and commentary concerning politics and cultural matters. The article goes on to recommend that parents handle parent-teen arguments by compromising on small stuff, small stuff, keep that in mind, like wearing goth makeup, that's G-O-T-H, goth makeup, that's that, you know, where they, they paint an area three inches on either side of their eyes with a black makeup and they wear black lipstick and black rouge and black clothing. And if their hair isn't already black, they dye it black and they cut it short. And yeah, so this is small stuff. The psychologists in this article recommend that parents handle parenting arguments by compromising, allowing small stuff, supposedly small stuff, like goth makeup and clothes strewn everywhere in the child's room and maybe even spilling out of the child's room into various family areas of the home. All right, concerning the former, the goth makeup thing, uh, you can take this to the bank, ladies and gentlemen. I've been a Psychologist since 1972, that is when I was first certified as a psychologist by the state of Illinois. I was later certified in 1976, 74, by a psychologist in the state of North Carolina. In 1979, I was licensed as a psychologist in the state of North Carolina and I will tell you, as I've said many times before, my licensing board regrets the day they ever gave me a license, but that is a longer discussion than we have time for today. But you can take this to the bank, letting a child dress like a sullen malcontent is the first step toward living with a child who is a self-destructive, sullen malcontent. And folks, Make no mistake about it. 
habits can form not only in terms of behavior, but also in terms of thoughts and feelings. And if you want a child who begins to develop the bad habits that are associated with this goth costume that so many teenagers today are being allowed to wear by their very naive parents, then all you have to do is allow your child to uh, wear goth makeup and goth clothing and dye her hair black and so on and so forth. Here's the operative principle. All of the big stuff starts as small stuff. Today's parents, I've said this many times before, they have been lulled into a sense of false security by this idea, don't sweat the small stuff and choose your battles carefully. Well, folks, again, all the big stuff starts as small stuff. And when you begin wondering whether any battle is worth fighting, you end up fighting no battles at all, and you let your child be in total control of the family. No, you don't let a child wear goth makeup. You just don't allow it. Concerning clothes strewn everywhere, all over the house, the child's room, the child's room, a complete mess, the bed never made, etc., etc. The psychologists quoted by Andrea Peterson in this November 7th Wall Street Journal article would have you believe this is small stuff. And you should compromise on the small stuff. No, folks, listen, (laughs) the Bible is very clear on this. Your job is to properly train your child to be a responsible adult. Responsible adults do not live in environments that are a complete and utter antisocial mess. Responsible adults take responsible care of themselves, and they take responsible care of the spaces that they live in. You can tell a responsible adult by walking into their living space and looking around. If the living space is a mess, then the person's thought process is a mess also. I can guarantee that you can take that to the bank. If you want your child's thought processes to be a mess, then allow your child to make a mess of what are euphemistically called his or her bedrooms. A child should be expected in no uncertain terms to maintain, and I'm being euphemistic here again, his or her environment in concert with parental standards. What do you mean you're using those pronouns euphemistically, John? I'll make that clear in a second. The difference is between being a responsible family member as opposed to being a border My wife and I told our two kids to make things perfectly clear what you call your rooms are rooms in our home that we are loaning to you for a time-limited period. You will keep said spaces neat and clean. How neat and clean? Just look around you. If your room is not neat and clean, one of us will clean and straighten when you aren't home. In the process of cleaning your room, because you have not kept it up to the standards of this home, we will open every drawer, we will look between your mattresses, and we will throw out anything, clothing or otherwise, that we think is unnecessary to your life. It took one such cleaning per child 
to get both of our kids on board with the plan. Concerning arguments or the potential thereof, we told the kids that they were free to disagree with us. That's called liberty. But they had freedom of speech, but they were not free to disobey. Furthermore, respectful disagreement would result in negotiation, but not always. An argument, a disrespectful attitude, in other words, a disrespectful argumentative attitude would not ever result in negotiation. In conclusion, as we're running up to the end of our time, I will point out that arguments between parents and children often lead to arguments between husbands and wives. And so, final word on the subject, do you want a happy marriage? Don't argue with your kids. For more on this, you can go to one of my books. It's called The Well-Behaved Child. You can obtain it at your library. Once again, John Roseman, because I said so. Thanks for joining us.